0: We have a Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Uh, yes, at the new time. 4 I'm still trying to get used to this. By the way, and and I got to tell you guys, uh, so yes, I I have to tell you this, we will get into the jobs numbers, just let me tell you the story, it'll put a smile on your face. Um, So when I told my wife, who has been desperate for me to move to an earlier time slot, so that we can actually have dinner together, because it's real hard to do when you get off at 7, when you got smaller kids, um, she has been wanting me to get off by 6, and suddenly I am, and she had this very perturbed look on her face. (laughs) And it turns out she gave me, for Christmas, a cooking class today at Sur La Table at Phipps. And I had to try to figure out how to get from Phipps. Uh, The class ended no later than 3.30. I had to get here by 4. When she was thinking, hey, you know, if it ends at 3.30, he'll have until 5 o'clock to get downtown. I was thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to have to pre-record the first half hour of the show or do something. But everything worked out fine, so. I apologize if, if you saw a white Yukon flying down... Uh, Peach Tree, that was me. I apologize. Uh, the phone number here, 404 wsb talk We do need to get into these jobs numbers. They are very, very good jobs numbers. Um, the president should be pleased today. In fact, the president is pleased today with the jobs numbers from the Labor Department. Uh, unemployment has gone up to 3.9%, and that is good news. I know. Uh, You're wondering, how can it be good news that unemployment has gone up? Well, that means, remember, back during the Obama administration, conservatives kept pointing out that the labor participation rate has been going down. So you had a massive number of people who were unemployed, but they were not actually taken into account in the unemployment number. Once you stop looking for work, you're no longer considered unemployed in this country. I I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that's the way it's always been. And in the Obama administration had a massive number, more than two-thirds of the country, of people who could work, uh, sat out, couldn't even find a job. And so they weren't considered working. And as a result, uh, you had the unemployment number going down, but the number of people who just couldn't find a job and gave up had gone up. Well, the reason the unemployment number has gone up from 3.7% or 3.4% rather to 3.9% is because a lot of those people who have been sitting on the sidelines have now come back in to the workforce and are now looking for jobs because there's employment available so the spike in the unemployment rate from 3.4 to 3.9 is actually very good news because people who have set it out and gave up looking for a job are now suddenly trying to find work the actual number 312,000 new jobs created in december that number will probably be revised it will probably be revised down some that's typically how it happens but the key here is that they were expecting 187,000 jobs to be created Uh, So they went from 187,000 expected to 312,000 actually created. That's very good. Now, this comes on the heels of those numbers from Apple uh and uh, i'll i'll check and see what the stock market has done I, i didn't i was moving so fast i didn't see but um you had the numbers from apple the other day caused a 660 point loss in the stock market yesterday uh there's still some skittishness in the market uh you've got the white house economic advisor now coming out and saying that yeah there probably will be more companies announcing uh earnings revisions Uh, downward expectations because of the trade war. The tariffs are having an impact. So there are still economic issues on the horizon that are troubling, but this is very good news. The White House gets a win on this. Uh, You cannot say that these numbers are Barack Obama's numbers. We are now well removed from Barack Obama's administration. The Democrats would still like to give him credit. They still claim that he set the economic stage for this sort of thing to happen, but the reality is that the Republicans, when they came in and took office with Donald Trump, they immediately set about uh, getting rid of so many of the president's singular accomplishments that he claims credit for, uh, from regulatory rollback to the tax reform, to rolling back Obamacare. By the way, you should know that a number of uh, liberal states, progressive states, have decided to file an uh, appeal of that lawsuit in Texas. There's, I, I don't see that there's any reason for me to talk a lot about the case in Texas. I, I will note that I got ridiculed from a lot of people for saying, oh, why was anybody concerned this judge could throw it out because the Republicans got rid of the individual mandate, and yet a bunch of progressives out there saying, no, oh, no, no, we had people call this program uh, ridiculing me for suggesting that this was a real possibility. Goes, no, 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 they, they've changed. It, it hasn't really gone away. The, the judge can't do this. Well, he did. Exactly as I said he was going to do, he did. Uh, the Republicans, if you will recall, John Roberts, in his Supreme Court case, uh, in his opinion, decided that Obamacare was a tax because of the individual mandate. The Republicans got rid of the individual mandate, and so now Obamacare falls, according to this judge. It will probably, they will come up with some way to preserve it on appeal, honestly. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me. That's why I haven't spent a lot of time talking about it or dwelling on it. I don't think it's a huge story. It's one district judge, and he has stayed his order, so Obamacare is still the law of the land, but it is going to have an economic impact as well. Uh, Likewise, a number of pharmaceutical companies have raised prices on drugs. You're now starting to see Republicans come forward with ideas on um, health care and expanding health care and drug price reform and drug controls, which I think is a bad idea and Republicans have long considered it a bad idea, but nonetheless this is where we are. Well, Democrats have a bit of a problem on their hands. Uh, Rashida Tlaib is a new congresswoman from Michigan. She was caught on video at a moveon.org event uh, claiming that they are going to impeach the... <clears throat> Um, yippee ki <laughs> Um, I let my 13-year-old watch die hard. Um, and anyway, um, I, that's when I first saw it. I saw it in the theater when I was 13. Nonetheless, um, so the Democrats are upset about this. And what they are upset about more than anything is that it's getting so much media exposure, which is what they don't want right now. They want this story off the headlines, uh, even though they are uh, going to pursue it, and we all know it. Now, Rashida Talib has released a statement. It says... Uh, congresswoman Lieb was elected to shake up Washington, not continue the status quo. Donald Trump is completely unfit to serve as president. The Congresswoman absolutely believes he needs to be impeached. She ran and won by making this very clear to the voters in her district. Donald Trump's actions have harmed the 13th Congressional District and this country. And Congresswoman Leeb will not stay silent while this happens. In an op-ed published Thursday morning, the Congresswoman laid out why she believes Donald Trump should be impeached. This is a very Trumpian statement, by the way. Um, Donald Trump was elected to shake up Washington, not continue the status quo. Barack Obama is completely unfit to serve as president. Donald Trump absolutely believes Obama needs to be impeached. Donald Trump won by making this very clear to the voters. Donald Trump's actions, Barack Obama's actions have harmed the congressional district. I I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. You can totally see this as something that President Trump would say about Barack Obama or his opponents. And so the the Democrats, if you think, uh, they're headed in Donald Trump's direction in that regard. And the Democrats' leadership, they don't like that. The reason they don't like it is because they know that uh, there's going to be oxygen sucked out of the room. They're also inside the situation of a government shutdown. They're meeting today at the White House trying to come up with an idea of how to reopen the government. And they've got problems when it comes to reopening the government because uh, the president absolutely wants the wall and the Democratic base wants nothing to do with the wall. The problem the Democrats have in that regard is that they have an aggressive progressive caucus. I didn't intend for that to rhyme, but nonetheless, you get my point. The The Republicans have always had to deal with the Freedom Caucus. When they were in charge of the House of Representatives, if Republicans wanted something to pass that was controversial, they had to get the Freedom Caucus on board or they had to work with Democrats. Well, Democrats figured the game out pretty early on and refused to give the Republicans any votes, making them go to the right with the Freedom Caucus so that Democrats could then campaign in 2018 and say, look how far right the Republicans have gotten. I mean, they were doing this in in 2014 and 2016 as well. It didn't really work. But now the Democrats have this aggressive progressive caucus and they've got to move left on these issues. And they don't want to be seen as moving too far left because there is a significant portion of independent voters that are freaked out by it. And you know, this, by the way, there is a, I I mean, the media has priapism over the idea of the suburbs moving left. They They were never as conservative as a lot of conservatives wanted to believe, but they're certainly not as progressive as some people in the media now suddenly believe that the suburbs are. The suburbs are very independent and they have largely voted for the Republicans over the Democrats, not on social issues, but on pocketbook issues. When you have Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez coming out saying we need a 70 percent income tax rate and you have the rest of the progressive caucus nodding along saying, yes, we need an aggressive green jobs and, and green platform and green growth plan, whatever the heck that is, essentially embracing socialism, the suburbs they won are gone to them. I mean, remember, these suburban voters held their nose and voted for Donald Trump even though they didn't like him in 2016. And they put the Democrats in charge because they want to hold Donald Trump accountable. But Democrats holding Donald Trump accountable is different from Democrats raising the income tax rate to 70%. That scares independent voters in the suburbs who have lots of mutual funds. And giving those people voice is a problem for the Democrats. And the real frustration for Democratic leaders is that a lot of the media would love to pay far more attention to these radical Democrats saying impeach the blankety blank than they would Nancy Pelosi. And the leadership knows it. They've got to come up with a way to rein it all in without causing a rebellion. Well, Mick Mulvaney is egging on the president, uh, urging him to continue the government shutdown. And I think if you look at the politics of it, he's got to. I think that the president of the United States has to keep the shutdown going until the Democrats give him actual money on the wall. Not a promise for future payment, but actual money on the wall. You know, just to review real briefly what I said yesterday, the Democrats want to break the president on this. I was talking to a Democrat over um, Christmas season. One of the now, I guess, uh, now that they've come back into power, one of the more prominent Democrats who I've tried to maintain a cordial relationship with, and he really believes that the Democrats need to expose the president as a fraud, and the best way to expose the president as a fraud is to show that he will cave on one of his signature issues, if not his signature issue, and that is the wall. The Democrats are very, very convinced that they've got to break the president on this issue, and Mick Mulvaney knows it. And now he's chief of staff. And remember, Mick Mulvaney was up for the shutdown fights in the past. Uh, Mulvaney wants real cuts, and he understands that the government shutdown actually isn't terrible for the the future fiscal health of the nation. If anything, the government's not spending money in these areas. Uh, At the same time, Mulvaney knows that this is a fundamental issue politically for the president. And if he caves to the Democrats without getting any money for the wall, then it's going to hurt him with his base. And it's going to be hurting him with the base at a time where the Mueller investigation is drawing to a close. And the president needs his entire base. Now, as I told this Democrat I was talking to, and he kind of understands, I think the Democrats are overplaying their hand here. I think if the president gets nothing— Uh, and he gets nothing because Republicans in Congress worked with the Democrats to reopen the government over the veto of the president, then they're going to get blamed, not the president. And the president will save face, and it will deeply anger his voters, and it could probably annihilate the Republicans in Congress. But we'll protect the president. You've got Cory Gardner, the congressman or the senator from Colorado. He's the most endangered Republican senator, uh, and I would say second most endangered senator. I think uh, Doug Jones from Alabama knows he's toast. Cory Gardner has a fighting chance in Colorado, but Gardner is out there now calling on Congress to open the government back up without funding the wall. Mitch McConnell says that's a non starter, that the president has to get some money. For the wall, and in getting some money for the wall, whether it's a billion, two billion, three billion, four billion, five billion, the president wants five billion. You know, Mike Pence went to the Senate and made an offer to Chuck Schumer to compromise at two point five billion dollars, and Schumer didn't respond. Yesterday at the White House, they had a private meeting with uh, Pence, Pelosi, Schumer, the president, and a few others, and Pence called Schumer out on the audacity of not even responding to the compromise. Schumer. You know, you got to give it to him. The president likes Chuck Schumer. He does. He has been very open about liking Schumer. Even Pelosi has said she has a hard time negotiating with the president. She lets Schumer do it because they start talking about business deals their dads did with each other in New York and New York stories. And and they can get something from each other. Uh, But Schumer turns to the president yesterday and says, well, Mr. President, I didn't respond to the vice president because you told me you couldn't accept less than $5 billion. And I knew that the vice president was undermining you and the president crossed his arms and glared at Pence and then started talking about the $5 billion he needed. So I mean, totally threw Pence under the bus. Who's trying to come up with a deal? Now, the president has been very insistent on 5000000000 billion. Let's say the president walks it down to $2.5 but it's $2.5 actual dollars that he's going to get this year to expand the, the border fencing. I think his base will take that as a win. I think the president himself will take it as a win. When we come back, uh, the other machinations in Washington, how they're going to handle the government shutdown, and the judges, the judges. We're about to have a big judge fight in Washington again. One of the big issues. Welcome back, by the way. It's Eric Erickson here. But, uh, you know, next hour, I think I'm going to... Uh, spend time taking your phone calls if you want 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I always feel like when I come back that the first couple of days are just a a review of all the stuff that happened and where we're headed and we're never really good on phone calls. So my new year's resolution, I guess is, um, start doing this, but nonetheless, um, 404-872-0750. Before I get to any of that though, we got to talk about the judge situation, Um, so there were a handful of judges that were up for a vote at the end of the last Congress that Jeff Flake blocked. He blocked because he wanted the Republicans to at least have a vote on his Mueller protection plan. Now, there's no way it would have passed. He didn't have the votes, but he wanted a vote on it. McConnell did not want to put the other Republicans into an awkward spot, and so he refused to allow a vote on it. And as a result, Jeff Flake blocked a number of judicial picks, and then Tim Scott wound up saying he would vote against another one, and so it was never brought to the floor. And all of these people now have to be renominated. I, if you didn't know, when the president makes a nomination, there are a Congress lasts for two years. The reason the Congress lasts for two years is because of the House of representatives um, their tenure is for two years. And even though the Senate is six years, a new Congress starts under the rules of Congress. A new Congress starts every other year when new members come in from an election. So if, someone, if the president nominates someone January 20th of 2017 uh, after 12 p.m. when he becomes president, that person has until the new Congress is sworn in on January 3rd of 2019— to be confirmed by the Senate. And if they're not confirmed by then, the whole process has to start all over again. The president has to renominate the person. There has to be a brand new hearing because there are new senators. And then there has to be another vote. And the Democrats can do the, the delays all over again. And a large number of them are, are that's going to happen. Now, one of the things that there, there have been a number of people who have written stories in the last two weeks that you know actually the confirmation rate of new judges actually is no different from Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, George W. Bush. It's been about 44% confirmation rate over a two-year period um, of the number of people that the president has nominated. That's a little bit misleading because the president actually has a much higher rate of confirmation success for appellate court judges, and that's the big picture here. District court judges really don't matter. They can certainly throw monkey riches and things like the judges in San Francisco who are issuing uh, nationwide injunctions on certain certain court orders and whatnot. But appellate courts operate as many Supreme Courts. So every state in the country is placed in a circuit. The 11th Circuit covers Georgia, Alabama and Florida the Fifth Circuit covers Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi. The Fifth Circuit used to actually cover Texas all the way to Florida. Uh, it was divided. Uh, the Ninth Circuit is the big one. It covers um, the western states. And you've got, of course, the the D.C. Circuit handles most of the federal government matters in D.C. And the president's been able to st- uh, really fill a lot of those spots. Republicans had obstructed them. And uh, when the Democrats got rid of the filibuster for non Supreme Court judicial picks, the Republicans were still able to grind down the gears. So there were a lot of vacancies. The president has worked very, very hard to fill those vacancies. So, yes, there are a lot of judges, including a lot of appellate court judges, the president nominated, and they're going to have to start this entire process all over again. But the president did a very good job. He outpaced his last four predecessors George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton. George W. Bush and Barack Obama, he outpaced all of them on filling appellate court slots. That's a big deal. Uh, it's the district court spots that have a lot of openings. There are a couple here in Georgia, I do believe. And they're going to redouble their efforts now on the, on the district court spots. And Mitch McConnell is signaling that he is willing to fight the Democrats on this and grind things to a halt. Uh, one of the things Chuck Schumer did at the very end of the year, knowing Jeff Flake was obstructing some of these judicial picks, Schumer backed out of a deal with McConnell at the last minute. McConnell thought he'd struck a deal with Schumer to push through 10 judicial picks at the end of the year. And Schumer at the last minute walked it back because of Flake's obstruction. He didn't think he needed to take the deal. And now they're going to have to start it all over. Um, and it looks like McConnell is going to make this a really big issue this year, which he needs to do. The other big issue, of course, that the Senate is going to deal with more than the House's foreign affairs Mitt Romney has gotten a seat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He will be taking a spot that was freed up by the departure of Bob Corker. Now, Romney does not have seniority in the Senate. He will not be a chairman, but just given his position in the party, they will give him some influence over this. He is the guy, of course, who warned everyone that Russia was a problem. And Democrats are a little bit uh, smirking about him being on the Foreign Relations Committee in the Senate. The president has a problem with senators now over the Syria thing. Now, if you haven't heard, it really hasn't gotten a lot of attention this week. The president uh, ordered the military to withdraw from Syria. The Pentagon has drafted a plan. It is a 120-day plan. They say they can do it no faster than that without getting a lot of people killed. The president has agreed to go with the 120-day plan. There is a tacked admission that they may extend this. The president wants a little bit of latitude to walk back. I am told, it has been reported, I'm not the only person hearing this, the president was actually really surprised by a lot of the blowback he got over withdrawing from Syria, particularly among uh, evangelical supporters. You know, the president has this group of preachers that he pays attention to that come to the White House often for prayer meetings and whatnot. Most of them were opposed to the withdrawal from Syria. They were opposed. I think uh, Tony Perkins from Family Research Council puts it uh, best that uh, the American soldiers had been uh, working to keep Christians alive in Syria, and it wasn't just they were protecting the Kurds and fighting ISIS. They had been stopping persecution of Christians by the Kurds who were working with the Americans, by ISIS, by the Turks and the Russians and the Syrians. You can say that that Russia is Russian Orthodox Christian, but... Put some air quotes around that, please. Um, The president has a problem with the Senate. They are deeply upset by how he has handled the Syrian situation. None of them, well, there are some of them who are opposed to getting out of Syria altogether. Some of them will be. The majority of them are kind of where I am, that uh, they're not opposed to getting out of Syria. Many of them didn't think we needed to be there in the first place, but we're there. We made commitments, we made promises, and we can't just abdicate our responsibility there and break all of our promises just to flee the country. We need to do it in an orderly manner. Same with Afghanistan. There's a growing consensus, I think, that it's time to get out of Afghanistan. There are really a lot of Republicans in, in Congress, in the House and the Senate, privately grumbling about the president defending the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, which defies all historic credibility. He didn't know what he was talking about there. And they're not opposed to us getting out of Afghanistan now. They just want an orderly process. And, you know, one of the one of the arguments pro-Trump people had in 2016 is that he was going to be surrounded with wise people who would stop the president from doing things. And, in fact, in his departure, John Kelly said, don't judge me on what the president did. Judge me on what the president didn't do that he wanted to do, which is another big red flag that there have been people in the White House undermining the president. Nonetheless, uh, with the president ignoring people like Mattis, now saying he fired Mattis instead of that Mattis resigned, etc., you're going to start seeing a more aggressive posturing by the Senate Foreign Relations Committee led by Republicans questioning this White House. And I, I don't know that the the president or his administration have yet really grasped the Democrats in charge of the House and what that means. But I don't think they're prepared at all for a Republican Senate that is more deeply skeptical of the president than they have been in the past. Welcome back, Eric Erickson here. Yes, I know, if you're just tuning in, it's already the end of the first hour of the show, and Mark Aram comes up at 6, new time slot, 4 to 6 now. So apologies to those of you who can't listen regularly. You know, you can get the podcast, you can text the word SHOW to 444-999. I'll send you back links to Google Play and, and Apple iTunes. Uh, Sean Hannity is floaty, who would be here. He'll be here at 8 o'clock tonight. Um, after hours, Hannity is floating the idea that the president is open to a compromise on DACA, uh, the dreamers, the so-called dreamers on letting them stay in the country in exchange for money for the wall. This is my idea. This is actually the idea that the president agreed to in February this past year until there was outrage on talk radio, including Hannity's program and others. Uh, that he was going to let the Dreamers stay. These people, they didn't, they didn't want the Dreamers to stay. The president walked it back, say, no way, no deal, um, and we'll fight this later. Well, now we're back to where we were in February. I, I am actually interested. And this is one of the subjects I want to talk to you guys about in the next hour. 404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk. Is, is this an appropriate cover? I think it is, and I know many of you disagree. That uh, the Democrats will give the president funding for the wall, and in exchange, the president will allow the Dreamers to stay for at least some duration. I have long thought that we should build the wall and that many of the people who are most opposed to uh, the Dreamers and round everybody up and deport them, that their position would change if they knew the border was actually secured with the wall. In fact, there is a report um, that in the California area, illegal immigration is down a ridiculous amount, over 50%, I think it was, maybe close to 90% uh, in the areas where they've upgraded the wall. And so I I wonder if this is a good compromise, although I I do think uh, build the wall first before we come up with a permanent immigration solution. I'm not opposed to the wall. I don't know that it will do as good as, as some people think. And I personally think it should be a giant wall with a moat as opposed to slats. The Border Patrol says they want the slats because they want to be able to see through it, see who's on the other side, uh, make it a little bit more difficult for people to put up ladders to try to uh, go across it and whatnot. Uh, Okay, I get that. Uh, We can can do the slats. There's also the issue of the Rio Grande and, and farmers in South Texas and Arizona. They want to be able to get their herds to the water. Which they wouldn't be able to do, and so we'll have to accommodate things like that. But I'm I'm not opposed to the wall. I, I I definitely agree with Rick Perry that you can do high-tech monitoring in a way to secure the border that we're not currently doing, and we don't need a physical wall, and we could do it cheaper. Although the wall is a fixed cost, put it up once, you're not having to pay those those things every year. You the other than upgrades and maintenance for capital expenditure, but nonetheless this is the hannity compromise now a, a compromise that was roundly rejected by a lot of talk radio and trump activists in february now suddenly we're back to do it give us some money for the wall at the time it was five billion dollars to keep the dreamers would the president be able to get the five billion dollars now for that i don't know um i'm happy to to take your thoughts on this uh 404-872-0750 wsp talk when we come back as well We need to get into some of the state legislative machinations. Uh, The religious liberty issue appears conservatives are going to try to push it early in the legislative session. The Speaker of the House says he's going to block it. There are some details and some of the other legislation circulating out there. And should the state of Georgia take over two dead mayors airport from the city of Atlanta? Uh, You know, they're, they're doing a reallocation for contracts out there, rebidding for a lot of contracts out there. There's still some controversy, and there's been the study committee in the state on whether or not to take over the airport. All those and more when we come back at 5 o'clock for the second hour of the show. It's the second hour. Welcome. Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800-WSB-TALK. I really, I, I had a brain fart there for just a moment as I'm giving out the number where I thought, am I giving out my cell phone number or am I giving out the station number? Sorry. Um, I gave out the station number. Don't If you call it, it's not my cell phone. It is the station. I have started to do that before. Bortz very notoriously multiple times gave out his cell phone number and had to change it every time. Um, uh, in any of it, uh, as I said in the last hour, we will take your phone calls on whether or not you're down with this Hannity DACA deal. Um, let the Dreamer stay. Give them uh, not citizenship, but let them stay as, as resident aliens and build the wall. Uh, but uh, before we do that, you know, normally I think it is a very trite thing to say, oh, Fox is covering this while everybody else is covering that. But, but really, uh, the president had a press conference a little while ago, and we let it play out. And the president says he may use emergency powers. Emergency powers to build the wall, essentially citing Barack Obama's DACA um, extension as his precedent for emergency powers for him to build the wall, even though it's not funded. Now, Nancy Pelosi is telling people that with their meeting with the president uh, a little while ago, she made it very, 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 very clear. That uh, impeachment is not on the table. They're not there to discuss impeachment. Uh, impeachment is not on the table for the House Democrats. It's it's not an issue. She wanted that to be very clear with the president. Uh, it's not an issue. They would like to reopen the government. Uh, they have passed legislation in the House to do that. The Senate is not going to take it up. Uh, the president has now come out and said he could keep the government closed for years and that he could use emergency power. I, I have to tell you guys— if the president spends money that has not been allocated by Congress, I favor impeachment. Yeah, I do. If the president spends money not allocated by Congress, I favor impeachment. Uh, this is a separation of powers issues. This is not about Donald Trump. This is about the president versus Congress. Uh, Congress has the power to allocate money. The president does not. If the president allocates money, the president is a king. And he needs to be taken out of office uh, if he did something like that. And I don't think the president's going to do that. Now, what the president's advisors are saying is that there are reserves that he could spend. There are not $5 billion worth of reserves for the president to spend. And most of the reserves are being spent uh, to keep open those departments that are closed Uh, In the government shutdown. I'm sorry, though, if if you're a Trump supporter and you believe that the president has the power to spend money that Congress has not allocated, uh, you are uh, against the Constitution of the United States of America. I don't know what you're for other than the president. You're certainly not in favor of our constitutional structure that gives the power of purse to Congress and uh, specifically to the House of Representatives. Yeah, the House of Representatives, it, it, it's kind of a, a canard uh, about the, the revenue structure, uh, what the Senate can or cannot do. It's revenue raising that the House has to be in charge of, uh, but it is typically by purview the House that also passes the budget first. The Senate follows the House's lead on taking up budget resolutions. The Senate, though, can come up with its own and swap it out when the House gives it to it which is what's happening here. Essentially, Nancy Pelosi will send her legislation over to the Senate on how to reopen the government. Mitch McConnell will take that legislation and essentially amend it to delete every word in it and substitute in his own language and then send that back to the House. I don't think that'll get them. But I got to tell you, going back to my point, it's very interesting now that every news network, Bloomberg, uh, CNBC, uh, MSNBC, CNN – they are all right now talking about the president's threat to use emergency, a declaration of emergency to be able to spend money Congress hasn't allocated. Fox is talking about Alexandria Cortez or uh, Ocasio-Cortez's proposal to raise taxes to 70 percent, something her own leaders say isn't going to happen. Um, it's kind of a big deal when the president says he's going to spend money Congress hasn't allocated. It it actually is a really big deal, and it's not going to happen, but it's worth pointing out he threatened it. Now, there's another issue, a, a bigger issue with the president thinking, arguing, believing he can use allocated reserves to build the wall. Eventually, there will be a Democrat in the White House. Do you want to set the precedent That your guy can spend money not allocated by Congress that's in an emergency pool of money to do things like this. Republicans got in trouble back in 2006 on the issue of a bridge to nowhere in Alaska. Uh, Senator Ted Stevens supported building a bridge to a small island in Alaska that had 25 people living on it, and it was a multi-million dollar bridge. Not worth the money. It was called the Bridge to Nowhere. And can you imagine a Democratic president when Congress decides, you know what, we're we're actually not going to approve this Bridge to Nowhere. A Democratic president says, you know what, it's infrastructure week. I'm spending the reserves on road projects. Or, you know what, Congress has stopped funding for Planned Parenthood. I'm going to spend the money on Planned Parenthood. I'm going to spend the reserves from the HHS budget, the Health and Human Services budget, and get Planned Parenthood some extra money. You don't want to go down this road because your party will not always control the White House. It's bad news. It's bad form. And you don't want to do it. That being said, I have to tell you, I'm not opposed to the president keeping the government shut down. You can still visit Yellowstone, just mind the human poop that's on the side of the road because the bathrooms are closed. But you can still visit the national parks. They're still open. Uh, I'm not opposed to the government shutting this down. And why not privatize TSA? Uh, privatized TSA, and you don't have to worry about. And by the way, TSA, a lot of the TSA uh, budget comes through the FAA, and these are ticket fees that the FAA collects, and so you don't have to go through the budgeting process for those. So it's not like a lot of TSA agents are not getting paid. They're getting paid through budget allocations. Uh, some of it may be cumbersome, and if they don't get paid, they'll get back pay when Congress reopens, uh, when when the government reopens. But none of us are dying. The world is not over. Uh, the government has not ceased to function. Gridlock is good. The shutdown is not bad. It is not her- – I mean, do do does your life meaningfully feel like the government is shut down? Is it affecting you in some way? Because it's not affecting me in any way, shape, or form. And it's not affecting the majority of Americans in any way, shape, or form either. And I think it's good to be reminded that the government can shut down – And your life is not meaningfully, negatively impacted by the government shutdown. It's not affecting us in any way, shape or form uh, that would cause us an impact on our daily life. And I think that's good to be reminded. I I am in favor of government shutdowns and I I get lectured by people all the time. Brit Hume and I have had this disagreement over the years about government shutdowns. He thinks that it hurts Republicans and I I don't care. Uh, I, I actually don't believe the data is there to show that shutdowns hurt the Republicans. I believe that is an inside-the-bubble uh, idea that somehow—you know, after the government shutdown in 1998, Republicans picked up seats in the Senate. After the government shut down in 2013, the Republicans picked up seats in the Senate and the House. They're not going to get hurt by a government shutdown, and I don't think they're going to get hurt by this government shutdown— Uh, And I don't think people are going to get hurt by this government shutdown. And I think it is useful to show that the government is so big that this shutdown isn't affecting people. And so that raises the question of why do we need these departments of the government that are shut down if their existence doesn't meaningfully impact people? I think we know where to cut the budget. It is 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. To the phones we go, 404 872 750 wsb talk Richard in Loganville, welcome. Hey, Eric, good afternoon. Hi there. Didn't the very scenario that you just described, you said "Don't you, you don't want your guys or the other guys to have the ability to spend money outside of Congress, isn't that what Barack Obama did when he, he transferred uh, $1.2 billion to Iran? No. Okay. Uh, no. Um, that was actually Iranian money that was frozen in trust in the United States. It, it wasn't actually American taxpayer dollars. Right. But how did he get the money? Uh, that, that's just it. Uh, during in 1980, uh, Jimmy Carter issued an order freezing all Iranian assets in the United States, and all that money was put into a trust. Uh, Carter ordered it frozen uh, to be released at a subsequent date uh, when certain conditions applied, and Barack Obama uh, claimed they met the conditions and opened up the account so the Iranians could take the money out. I got well. He delivered it in cash. But, you know, I agree with you that that they shouldn't have the ability to be able to do that outside of Congress. Uh, I agree with you 100 percent. I just you know that 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 bar, that that envelope got pushed. Uh, quite a few times during the uh, Obama Yeah, it did. And, and, you know, I, I had uh, somebody on Twitter say, well, you know, he, 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 Obama didn't stop with, he didn't base uh, a lot of his decisions on precedent. Actually, he did. The DACA decision, for example, uh, to expand DACA and then DAPA, the parent decision, those were actually based on executive orders from the Bush administration that he then expanded upon. Uh, this wasn't something he pulled out of the top of his head. He found a legal basis to do it. And that's my real right. fear here, is if the president, if this president says that he finds a legal basis and issues uh, an executive order and says, I can spend this money, well, then you wait until Kamala Harris is president and watch how she spends the money without Congress. It's a dangerous game he's playing in doing this, and that concerns me greatly. Uh, I would much prefer for him to keep the government shut down and and make the Democrats fold. And again, like I said last hour, the president has to make the Democrats fold on this issue because if the president folds, I mean, every single one of you out there right now who voted, for Donald Trump you, you don't have to call me just just ask you answer this for yourself wherever you are what would your reaction be to President Trump abandoning construction of the wall altogether giving it up saying nope we don't need a wall anymore what would your view of the president be if he gave it up and said you know what we don't need it some of you I'm sure would say you know what we trust him he now knows more and and we don't need the wall But there are a lot of you who are emotionally invested in building the wall. And if the president gives it up, what is that going to do to your relationship with him and his relationship with you? More on that and so much more when we come back. It's 39 after the hour. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I got to correct myself uh, on the Iran payments, um, and it was not—I did go look it up uh, to make sure I was right, and I was kind of sort of right, but kind of sort of wrong. So it was not— payments from Iran that were—it was not Iranian money that was in banks of accounts that were frozen. That was dealt with separately. Um, Before the Shah was deposed in the 1970s, Iran had paid the United States $480 million. uh, And that money was placed into a um, foreign defense contracts trust account, foreign defense contracts trust account. That is, the Iranian government— was at the time prohibited from buying military weaponry directly from the United States uh, businesses that made them. They had to pay the federal government, which instead would then procure the weapons systems and take the money out of the trust account and then send the weapons on to Iran. Uh, The Shah fell. There was $480 million in that account, and it has been litigated in the World Court uh, in The Hague for years and years since. Uh, The the account was frozen in in 1979, not 1980. And uh, the U.S. and Iran agreed to an interest rate, and that interest rate has accumulated to over $1 billion dollars. Now, here's the catch and why it was really controversial. It's been misstated badly from a lot of people. I did go look it up. Um, The U.S. government allowed that trust money to be paid out, that $480 million to be paid out to American victims of terror. And there was a congressional investigation in 2016 led by Bob Corker of Tennessee in the Senate and I forget who in the House as to why the government was giving Iran this money if the government was actually paying that amount of money to victims. Well, the reason was because Iran and the United States had entered into an agreement in The Hague in the Netherlands where Iran paid additional money into a trust account – to pay American victims of terror. And so the Obama administration determined, and Congress could not disprove their calculations, that the money to the victims had come out of the account in The Hague, and so Iran was entitled, based on an agreement uh, that had begun back in the 1980s when Reagan was president, uh, that Iran was entitled to the $480 million plus interest on the account at an agreed-upon interest rate. And the agreed-upon interest rate over that $480 million wound up amounting to about $1.2 billion, and that's the money paid to Iran. Now, the other uh, hang-up on this is that we didn't pay Iran that $400 million in cash, cold, hard cash, really in euros and gold, uh, until some Americans that were being held in Iran were released. And it really looked like a hostage rescue payment that we were negotiating with terrorists, which we actually were. It was a terrible deal. It should have been done. Uh, But that's why it's different than what the president is alleging. Uh, This was money set aside. It was Iranian money in a trust account with interest accumulated that the Obama administration decided to pursue. And You will recall the Republicans in Congress also decided not to do anything to stop him. Um, That'll be different here if the president tries to spend money if he can find a trust account for the wall, then maybe so. You should also remember that uh, the Democrats in Congress, along with Republicans, allocated money for the border wall. Or at least they they, um, oh what's the, the word? they appropriated the money, but they did not release the money. So there is technically money set aside under prior legislation for the border wall. Um, but it was not actually released by Congress. Congress does two separate pieces of legislation. One is the budget, um, and the other is the actual spending appropriations. And they they didn't, I'm sorry, I've got it reversed, they budgeted the money for the wall. They didn't actually pass the appropriations. So they allocated, they didn't appropriate. Congress said, we're going to set aside this money in the budget. We'll hold, We'll put a, a line in the budget for this money. But they never actually approved paying that money, and that's where the big controversy is today, that Congress, Democrats, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, they all voted to allocate money to build a border fence when George Bush was president of the United States. They just never actually appropriated the money to actually build the border fence. That's where the dispute is right now. All right, David and Marietta, you're up next. Welcome. Thank you for taking my call, Eric. In light of Article One of the Constitution, is Congress— primarily responsible and accountable for development and passage of uniform immigration laws? And if so, if so, what action should the executive branch take, given Congress's continued failure to do so? That is the problem, is it not? Um, The only thing that the executive can do is find a way to work within the current frameworks uh, passed by Congress. Uh, I do think the president, as commander-in-chief, does have a national security interest in securing our border. And that's why I was not opposed to the president sending troops to the border, and I wish he had left them in the run-up to the election. I think we're, uh, yanking them back so quickly after the election did give Democrats a credible argument that he was only doing it for the election. But uh, you're right. Article 1, um, You know we don't have co-equal branches of government. Congress is the supreme branch of government, and Congress needs to pass an immigration package. I will tell you this. Republicans controlled the United States Congress. From 2010 – well, really when they took back the Senate in 2014 – from 2014 to 2018, they never bothered to pass any sort of immigration legislation. And by the way, you should know I'm opposed to comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, I don't think Congress does anything comprehensive well. They should break it up into pieces. First, secure the border. Once you've got the border secured and you've stemmed the tide of illegal immigration, then figure out what you're going to do with the people who brought their kids over. And then once you figure out what you're going to do with them, then figure out what you're going to do with those kids. And then once you got that figured out, then figure out how you're going to do with the rest of it. There's no reason that this should be done comprehensively. Comprehensive health care reform was a disaster, and comprehensive uh, immigration reform, I think, will be a disaster. Congress does not need to do any of this stuff comprehensively. Uh, Go slow, go piecemeal. It's 54 after the hour. I was asked about uh, the cooking school I went to. If you weren't here for the first hour, I had gone earlier today to a cooking school. It was at the Surla Tabla in Uh, Phipps, and I did not realize they had a cooking school, but if you go into the Sur La Tabla in Phipps, at the back of it, uh, the back left, there's a little cooking school. And I had been wanting to make homemade pasta years ago. A little Italian lady uh, taught me how to make homemade Bolognese sauce, and I've always wanted to learn how to make homemade pasta. Now that I've learned how to make homemade pasta— I'm not sure that I want to make homemade pasta. It was actually, yeah, there, there's actually a real difference. You can tell the difference between the um, homemade homemade pasta and the, and the dried that you buy at the store. It was it was definitely of a softer, slightly different texture. I I really enjoyed it, but it was a, a two and a half hour class. We made regular pasta, and then we made spinach pasta. We made a, a just a traditional tomato basil sauce, and also a carbonara sauce. And then we made a Caesar salad with a great Caesar salad dressing. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I had one lady in there who uh, was actually, I overheard her commenting to her husband that uh, the guy she listens to on the radio was now on at four and she couldn't listen, but she'd be able to listen since the class was over four. I did not say that was me. Uh, and then another lady realized who I was when I, when she heard me say my name. Um, but otherwise no one knew who I was. It was wonderful. I didn't have to talk shop, uh, but they have classes in there all the time. And Christy got me; she knew I'd been wanting to learn how to do this, so she got me the class for Christmas. And I then afterwards promptly got a pasta roller. I was going to get the KitchenAid attachment one, but the lady who runs the class says she uses the hand crank one, and I figured I'd use the hand crank one. We'll see. Um, speaking of food and pasta, no less, Keisha Lance Bottom, she the mayor of Atlanta had some controversy uh, because of her pasta or macaroni making skills over Christmas. People were complaining that her macaroni was dried out. Uh, If you actually zoomed in on the picture, you could see it really wasn't, and her family actually attested on Twitter that she made good uh, macaroni and cheese. It is amazing the things people get outraged about and generate news stories. Most of the major news stories over Christmas were all news stories about people being outraged about nonsense on Twitter. It was Twitter is just worthless.